this morning, uh, we are starting a new series that will uh, last five weeks. Uh, will take us to the beginning of July. Uh, in your bulletins, there should have been a little insert. If you didn't pick one up, there's some extras uh, back there. And uh, so there's information on here about the series. And then there is down at the bottom, uh, you can see the passage for each uh, week. And if you look down on the bottom, we have a special service planned for June 32nd. It's down there, if you look at that. Apparently, I, that was a joke. I drug, I drug the little box down, and that's what, and I forgot to change it, so I apologize. That'll be, y'all call it July 2nd, I call it June 32nd. Same day, just however you want to celebrate it. So we'll, uh, we'll wrap up on that day. Thank you, Dale, for laughing, because no one else knows that I'm being funny. All right, so, uh, but there's information in here about the series, where we're going. Uh, I like to be able to do uh, the bookmarks when we walk through the Gospels and so I like to be able to kind of provide uh, where we're going, and so I thought I would do it a little bit differently this time and have these handouts. So there's extras back there if you didn't get one uh, or, if, or if it fell out of your bulletin because I saw that. I saw a couple laying on the ground as well. So that's back there. So we're going to be talking about truth, and I have a whole lot uh, to cover today. So we're going to kind of just jump right in, and I, I apologize. At the beginning, we're going to be a little uh, philosophical, and we're going to talk about some theories, and so I, I apologize for that, but I think they are things that we that need to be said and that we need to get to, and we'll get a little bit more into why we're talking about this as we get a little bit deeper into the sermon. Uh, so I want to talk kind of just right off the bat. I'll try to do these quickly, but I think they're important as well. If you have, uh, I haven't mentioned this in a while, if you have the Version uh, app, you can go down uh, into events, look up the church, and all of the notes are in there because I'm going to kind of give you all a lot of stuff today. So if you want to see it there, it's on your phones in the Version app as well. Uh, if you just go down to events, put in the zip code, you'll see the church and you can get it all there as well. But let's talk about some theories of, uh, of truth, all right? So there are kind of three basic theories for the nature of truth. And I want to walk through these just real quickly with you. It's going to be a little philosophical. I again apologize, but let's go through them. The first one is the correspondence theory. Now, correspondence comes from the root word, correspond, uh, and if something corresponds to something else, uh, we know that it corresponds just means that it has a close similarity or it matches uh, or it agrees almost exactly. Okay, so if, if two things correspond to one another, they, they agree or they match. All right, so the correspondence theory is a statement is true if it corresponds to the way the world is. Now, what, what do we mean by that? So if we take this uh, stool, I meant to pick, yeah, this one, ooh, yeah, this is the good one, or the bad one, actually. This stool, okay, if we take it, I do not like this stool. Why? Because of this, all right? Now, if you say, John, this, this stool will support your body weight, I can say, I don't think that's true because it wobbles, all right? How do I, how do I test that? You sit on it, okay? So this is better go well and it better hold my body weight. So, so if I sit on it, irregardless to what I think, what is true? It, it holds me, okay? So reality is, at this moment, I'm still a little nervous, but at this moment, 
The, the reality is, is that this stool can hold my body weight, regardless about what I think about how much it wiggles. Okay, are y'all with me? So we have a statement is true if it corresponds, if it matches the way the world is. Okay, that's the correspondence theory. We, we use this all the time. Truth is what actually has occurred. Truth is not dependent on how I feel, all right? It's not dependent on whether or not I agree. I could argue all day whether or not that's gonna hold my body weight. It doesn't matter what I think. The truth is what actually occurred. I sat on it, I didn't end up on the ground, which would have been a much better video. But I sat on it, I, I stayed up. That's what actually occurred. This, this asks the question, does the evidence correspond to the testimony, okay? So does the evidence correspond to, to what is being said? If you remember in the story after the resurrection, one of the places we see this in scripture is after the resurrection, Jesus is walking, or these uh, people are walking the road to Emmaus. They're, they're walking, they are met with a stranger. They have this conversation. They sit down and eat. Y'all remember this story? They break bread. And at that moment, they realize that Jesus is with them Jesus somehow vanishes, they leave, they go back, they tell the disciples, guess what? We were on the road, this person talked to us, this man talked to us, we broke bread, we realized it was Jesus, and what do the disciples say back? It's true. This is the testimony that we have heard from Peter. It lines up with what has happened. Okay, it's, it, it corresponds, it matches what has happened. So that's, that's the correspondence theory. Okay, we should all be pretty comfortable with that because it's just the way it is, all right? So the second theory for the nature of truth deals, uh, it's called the coherence theory, okay? So coherence is the quality of being logical and consistent. So a statement is true if it consists or if it is consistent with other statements that we take as true. We accept as truth often depends on other things that we accept as true. Now, I've used this example, I used this years ago, and it's nice, it's one of those examples that I don't think anybody's gonna disagree with me on, but I'll use it again. If you do disagree with me on it, you're wrong, and let's talk about it, because I'm worried about you. One of those things, you can look it up on the internet, don't, but some of you have heard, there is a movement that thinks the world or the globe is flat, okay? Guess what? It's not. It's a sphere. It's a ball, all right? So, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but in elementary, you had a globe. It was round, okay? So, this statement is, is corresponds, or sorry, this statement in the coherence theory says that we believe there are other statements that are true, that we have been to space, that there have been pictures made of it, that people have flown around the world, that they have sailed around the world, that all of these things correspond to the truth that we understand. Now, we live in a world that's postmodern. We live in a world where people say there is no truth. And so they say, how do you know we've been to space? How do you know? Okay, the world's a globe, okay, a sphere. I don't know if, just make sure. So that, that deals with the coherence theory. So. The coherence theory is good, but it is put under pressure when other truths are questioned, all right? So that's the, that's the coherence theory. Third is the pragmatic theory. 
And the pragmatic theory is a statement is true if it works. So to be pragmatic is things that are dealing with things, if you are a pragmatic person, you deal with things sensibly and reasonably, okay? So a statement is true if it works. Now, here's here's the problem with this. That truth is about does it work, and truth is not about objective facts. So the pragmatic, the pragmatic theory deals with power over principle. What that means is, and we see this, and we're not going to pick on particular politicians this morning, but there are politicians on both sides of the aisle who think that the way you prove if something is true is if you just say it enough. And if I say it enough that it's true, that, that doesn't make anything true. And the pragmatic theory goes back and says, okay, what is important is how many times can I say something or do I have more power? If I have more power and you have less power, then that makes it true. That is not true. Okay, my grandfather was one, and not to pick on my grandfather, my grandfather was raised in a home and carried this on into his home that if there is an argument in the home, do you know who wins in my grandfather's house? No, whoever's the loudest. That's the person that wins. Whoever can shout, that's the person that wins. That's the way my grandfather's house was. My mother's house was not that way. And thankfully, my mother convinced my dad that's not how life is lived. But that's the way my, that's the way my grandfather lived. And I can remember him and my dad having arguments and my grandfather thinking, well, I just won that because I yelled louder. That's not, that doesn't make it true, okay? But that's kind of that, that pragmatic theory. And we see that in the world a lot. Whoever's the loudest or whoever says it the most is right, okay? That's, that's not true. So here, here's your kind of just basic three theories about the nature of truth lesson, okay? Are y'all tired of this? Okay, so let's, let's talk about what this means and why, why we talk about this, okay? Let's look at a passage today. Uh, and we talked about this passage uh, a few weeks ago. I mentioned that we're going to talk about it uh, when we get to this series. We're gonna be in John chapter 18. If you remember what has happened in the story, we are, uh, Jesus is before Pilate. They have handed Jesus over uh, he goes to, to Caiaphas's, and then he comes to Pilate. They have this conversation, and we're going to pick up the conversation in the middle of the conversation. So they've, he's already talked to Caiaphas. He goes to Pilate's house. He talks to Pilate, and then Pilate kind of steps out, and Pilate comes back in after he's kind of, he, he's listened to Jesus. He's processed it. He comes back in to talk to Jesus again, okay? So this is just before the crucifixion. Everybody know where we are? Okay, so chapter 18 verse 33 says, then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, "Are, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and your chief priest handed you over to me. What have you Done? What has put you in this place? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate says, So are you a king then? You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. 
And I have come into this world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then voice, or verse 38 is where we end this with Pilate's statement, what is true? After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. So I, I want you to, to kind of think through what all is going on here. We have this statement by Jesus. I've got it up on the screen. Jesus' statement and then Pilate coming back. I was born for this. I have come into this world for this. So why did Jesus come into this world? At this, this is what he says. I have come for this. To testify to the truth. And then he makes this statement. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate is left there kind of lost in wondering with this great question, what is truth? And I said to y'all a few weeks ago, the, the what, what I want you to take away from this story and one of the big things I want you to take away from this series, and we're, we're gonna talk about it multiple times, but one of the big things I want you to take away from this is we look at this question, and, and you, or you can look at this passage, and you can go past here, and you can say, okay, how does Jesus answer this? How, how does Jesus answer Pilate? And we can look at this and say, well, there, there is no answer. You remember I talked about this a few weeks ago. There, there is no answer. But yet what we understand as the people of God is that in Jesus' answer, he did not answer with words but he answered with a life. He, he answered with an example of this is what it is to be human, to be one who follows, Christ, who follows God. This is what it is to be the son of God. This is what it is to be truth. His answer is completely caught up in his life. So we can flip back a few pages. You go back to chapter 14. Look what happens in chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, or what I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. We don't know the way. And Jesus' reply is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is a passage, we read the beginning of this passage at a lot of funerals. And we think, well, this passage is a passage about heaven. Well, that's true, but it's also a passage about truth. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. What you are seeking in life, to know the path to take, to know what is true, to know what life is, all of those things are wrapped up in me. I, I am all of those things. I am everything that you are looking for. Jesus doesn't just speak truth. Jesus is truth. So let's, let's kind of, let's, let me give you kind of some statements. All right. Let's give you, let me give you some statements and then let's, let's see if we agree on them. And I, We'll, we'll see how this goes. So I've got, I've got some statements. Uh, if you'd go down a couple. There you go. So here we go. The first one, the church is the people of God. We agree? Everybody, everybody comfortable with that? Okay, good. That's a good step. The second one, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. Okay, that, we just read that, by the way. Jesus says that. Okay, so we're going to talk about this more in the next series when we get into July or beginning of August, somewhere in there. That's got to be one of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to really kind of have a whole sermon just on this statement. But if you know Jesus, you know the Father. Okay, everybody good? All right, it's in Scripture. We just read it, so you should be good. All right. Bearing witness to Jesus as Lord is the central calling of the church. What do y'all think? Everybody agree? This is what we are called to do. We are called to bear witness to Jesus Christ as Lord. And notice what I did there. I put a big C in there because I want to remind you, this isn't just the calling of Gardendale Church of the Nazarene, though it is. This is the calling of every church. This is the calling if you're Methodist. This is the calling for Episcopalians. This is the calling for Presbyterians. This is the calling for Baptists. This is the calling for Catholics. This is the calling for everyone who proclaims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Bearing witness to Jesus as Lord is the central calling of what we are called to do. All right? And lastly, central to this calling is proclaiming Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one, everybody agree? I've got a few of you still with me. Jesus is the answer to, what, to how we move in life. He is the answer to what truth is in life. He is the answer to, to what life is. Jesus is all of those things. So, Here's the issue, and I want to say this, well, let, me, let me back up. So I've been working on this series for about two years, and about six weeks ago, I texted one of my professors from college, and I said, hey, I need like 15 minutes to have like a philosophical conversation with you, and as soon as I texted him, he called me, and I was like, man, that was fast, and he said, well, I've got 15 minutes before class starts, and I said, okay, this is what I, this is what I want to do. I want to preach a series on truth. And I told him what I wanted to do. And do you know his reply back to me? He said, John, why do you want to pick that fight? 
what he said. And I told him, I said, I'm not trying to pick a fight. But as a pastor in 2023, I think what I'm about to say is something that we have to hear. I believe this with everything in me, and this isn't something I decided last night. It's something that I've been working on for two years to say to you right now. As the church, we have a central calling proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe that is truth. I believe with everything in me that is truth. But when we as the people of God decide to follow culture, whether it's on the right or on the left, and buy into things that are untrue, and support things that are untrue, the world looks at us and says to us, this is what they're saying today. They look at us and they say to us, if you're gonna believe this crazy thing or you're gonna believe this crazy thing, why is Jesus not a crazy thing? When we sell ourselves out to things that are not true, when we sell ourselves out to things that don't matter, then they look at us and they say, what you say is true, why do I believe it's true? You say Jesus is true, he's just another thing that you've made up, like all this other stuff. That's why this is so important. Because we have a calling as a people of God to proclaim the truth, not something over here or not something over here. We have a calling as the people of God, and it is an incredibly hard calling. But we lose our voice when we buy into things that are not true. We lose our voice when we sell ourselves to something that is not true. Now, I, I debated and I, I deleted it. I had this whole sermon illustration at this point written out of talking about, because some of you are thinking, well, he's talking about the left, and some of you are thinking he's talking about the right. And I had this whole illustration and I decided, nope, I'm not even gonna go there. Because I want you, I don't wanna lose you on this. This is so important. This is why we're doing this series. Because we have to know there is a world that is watching us that desperately need to know what the actual truth is. And as the people of God, we have that truth. That's what matters. So let's talk about that just for a moment. I, I was uh, skiing, or flipping through Twitter a couple weeks ago. And I came up across a, a statement written by Beth Moore most of y'all know who Beth Moore is. Some of you have been to Beth Moore Bible Studies. And she wrote this out. This is 100% Beth Moore. This is not John Parrish, but I read it and I copy and pasted it into my notes for this Sunday because I was like, this is too good. This is what Beth Moore wrote on Twitter just, just a few weeks ago. She said, years ago, I was at an event during a question and answer and a woman asked, Beth, what's the knot in your rope? 
I thought it was the best question. In other words, what do I hold on to when I'm sliding down a rope, palms burning and blistering and all of my formulas failing? I didn't even have to think about it. The words of Jesus in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now abide in my love. Jesus follower, try to grasp the magnitude of what Jesus is saying about you. In the same way God loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. Then he says, live in this truth. It's home to you. This, this is how I think of it. No matter what is happening in my life, this truth must be firmly rooted and grounded. As Paul said in Ephesians 3, as the deepest belief in reality in my entire existence, in, my whole, in the whole of my day, in and out living, this way, come what, my, come what may, in all the losses and gains and tears and doubts and bewilderments and betrayals, when my body aches with the pain of aging or I'm sick or depressed or worse yet, when one of my loved ones is. I know this with all of my being. None of this, none of what is happening in my life is because God doesn't love me. Jesus loves me like God loves him. And man, oh man, does God love Jesus. Let that sink down into the deepest part of you. Let that root deep into the soil of your consciousness and unconsciousness. Jesus loves you like God loves him. Live in it and don't leave it for a moment. So my question is the question that that woman asked Beth Moore that day. What, what's the knot in your rope? In, in a world that says there is no truth, what do we as the people of God hold on to? What is it? When there is nothing else to hold on to, when everything else is gone, what do we, what do you hold on to? John 18, 38, Pilate said, what is truth? What, what is the thing that you're going to hold on to? There are two things this morning that I, I want to talk about, and we'll kind of pull all this together. The first thing is a statement that I want to read to you and that I want us to read together. I said it a few weeks ago when I talked about this. I want to say it again, and my plan is that every week we're going to say this together. We're going to say two things together. This is one of them. All right, that statement is this. We believe... The truth has a name, a face, a mother, a birth date, 
a death, a death date, and I'll add in there, thanks be to God, a resurrection date. Truth is not a concept. Even though we started this talking about theories, truth is more than just a theory. Truth is a person. And that person has a name. That person had a face, or has a face. That person has a mother. That person has a birth date. And some of you are saying, Pastor, I, we don't know when Jesus was born. I know. I don't know the date, but I know there's a date. That there's a death date. Pastor, we don't know what day Jesus died on. I know. But I know there's a death date. And I also know that one Sunday morning when they got to the tomb, the tomb was empty. And the truth has a resurrection date. So I want us to say this together, and then we're, we're going to talk about something else, and we're going to say something else together, all right? Are you all ready? All right. We believe that truth has a name, a face, a mother, a birth date, a death date, and a resurrection date. And y'all can, if you want to sneak in there, thanks be to God, I'm okay with that. So, so that's the first thing. Okay, when Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? The answer is, I'm standing right here. I am the embodiment of truth. For me, this is, this is one of the knots in my rope. Okay, that I know this no matter what. This is true. I know this is true. Another knot in my rope is something that, that could be a whole other sermon series, and I'm thinking about doing a, a, a series on Sunday nights uh, during youth group of, of this as well. But one of the other things we know, uh, or that I want to talk about, is the Apostles' Creed. For me, the Apostles' Creed is, is this really big knot in my rope. It's the thing that we hang on to when there is nothing else to hang on to. It's the thing that stops us sometimes from slipping down that rope. And I want to talk just real kind of real quickly about it. Again, I could preach a whole nother, I could preach 12 more sermons just on this, but we're gonna, I'm going to do this quickly. So I want to just say a couple things about the Apostles' Creed. So if you're not familiar with it, you kind of know a little bit of its history. Tradition tells us that the Apostles' Creed was written 10 days after Jesus' ascension. Over time, we've realized that's probably not true. <laughs> that's what tradition tells us. Tradition was probably wrong. That somewhere in the 200s, the church started saying we need to have kind of a, a, a system of when people are baptized, of a proclamation that they are making of what they believe. And they took the Apostles' teachings... And they took these teachings and they put them into 12 statements because we are Christians, we like the number 12. And so they put them into 12 statements that we call the Apostles' Creed. Now that was somewhere 215-ish is, is what a lot of people say. So 200, that's not 215 years ago, that's year 215, okay? That was, that was a long time ago. The other thing is, is that in that time, that language changed. And so the Apostles' Creed, as we read it today, probably dates somewhere in the 600s, early 700s. Somewhere in there is where we kind of finalized, the church said, this is the language we're, we're going to agree on and to use. Theologically, it didn't really change. It was more of just a syntax or some semantic issue of how they want to do it. 
okay? That's where it comes from. It's been around a really, really long time, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. For many years, it was only, uh, it was only said in Latin, and in Latin, the first words are credo in diem, I believe in God. Credo is where we get the word creed. And for some churches, they say, well, we don't, we don't do creeds because creeds aren't biblical. I disagree. Because if you go through your Bibles, we can get pretty early on. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We call that the Shema, but you know what else you could call it? It's a creed. One of the other creeds that we see very early on, we've already kind of talked about, when they came back from the road to Emmaus and they came to the disciples and they say, guess we got to tell you what happened to us. Do you know what the disciples said? I believe. I, I believe in what you are saying. The simplest creed that started all of this was the church saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's a creed. It's a statement of belief. One of the, my favorite, and if you've been around me very long at all, you know, one of my favorite things that we could say is a creed as well. From Philippians chapter 2, although Christ was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Again, we see another creed. And so these are things that are tools to help us be able to talk about our faith. They help us to understand that we are a part of something that belongs, that we know all the way back in the very, very early church when people were baptized, this is what they were proclaiming. This is what they agreed upon. And thousands of years later, we're doing the same thing. We're a part of that church. We're a part of those saints. We're a part of the men and women that went before us that we belong to something bigger than ourselves, and the creed reminds us of that. Another piece of the creed, and, and uh, as you can see the beginning of it here, we're going to recite it together here in just a little bit, but I will just read it right now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What time is it? i got a whole other thing I want to say here, and I'm, I've debated for months whether or not I was going to say this. Am I going to say it? I got thumbs up. All right, here we go. Y'all ready for this? The Church of the Nazarene. If we are wanting to divide the church into two big groups, there are kind of two big groups to divide churches into. There are creedal churches, churches that use the creed. And then on the other side, if we're talking about America, we're not talking about the worldwide church, we're just talking about America. There are fundamentalist churches. The Church of the Nazarene, we're not a fundamentalist church. We're a creedal church. What is a fundamentalist church? A fundamentalist church is a church that says, here are our list of fundamentals. These are the things that you have to agree on. And if you don't agree on them, you're not a part of us. Now, some of you are thinking, what's the difference? Because a creed is a statement that says, this is what we believe, and if you don't, agree with them. You're not a part of us. And you're saying, pastor, you just said the same thing. I know there's a difference. The difference is the creed is really, really, really old. The creed hasn't changed. In fundamentalism, it changes as often as somebody wants to change it. 
So a fundamentalist can say, you know what, today the most important thing is is that you believe that you read Revelation in this way, that there's a rapture and there's this. And then 10 years later, they say, well, the important thing is is that you believe in creation and that creation happened in seven 24-hour periods. And then they might say, well, actually today, the reason what I want you to believe is this and this and that, and it changes, okay? The creedal church says, it, it, this is what we believe. This is what we confess as the people of God. And when my great-grandchildren are in church, do you know what they're gonna read? The same thing. Okay, that's the difference. So how does that play out? This part makes me nervous, but I just want to say it. All right, you all ready for this? How does that play out? A fundamentalist church would say, you have to believe that creation happened in a certain way. A creedal church says, you want to know what happened in creation? Are you all ready for this? This is your pastor's statement on creation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth that every single thing you see was created by God. Did it happen in seven 24-hour days? I wasn't there. I don't know. But I know who was there. And do you know who was there? God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know that everything that happened, God is the one that made it happen. There are some great theories out there of how it all happened, and that's great. If you want to believe them, that's great. Go for it. But it doesn't mean whether or not you're in or outside of the church. If you want to believe this theory, if you want to believe that theory, go for it. The thing that matters is God is the one who did it. Every single little piece of it, God did it. Who did it? God did it. That was an easy question. Are we good? Does that make so we could go through we could do more examples. That's just the first line example. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of, of God the Father. When I memorized, it was God the Father Almighty. Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from, from, I learned the King James, from hence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, Holy Church Universal, and that's, this is why I'm doing this. I want to pause right here, too, because I want everybody to be on the same page. Some of you heard me talk about this, and I just want to do it again. So if you haven't heard me, some of you are like, are you ever going to get through this? No. All right, so. The Holy Church Universal, or the Holy, yeah, that's how I wrote it up there. When I memorized it, it was the Holy Catholic Church, okay? Some of you memorized it that way. Here's the problem. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, and it says the Holy Catholic Church, some of you have heard me say this before, if you look at it, there's a little c, okay? The little c, as in not a capital C, as in lowercase c. That word Catholic means the whole church, the, the church universal, all of us together, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Nazarenes, Baptists, uh, who else did I leave out? Methodists, all, all of us together, okay? That's what the little c means. If it's capitalized, big C, it's referring to the Roman Catholic Church, 
okay? So Catholic just means all of us. Big C Catholic, Roman Catholic Church. So if you learned it and it says little C Catholic, that, that's what it should be. People get confused about that. So sometimes it's just easier to say the Holy Church Universal. Now, what do I mean by universal? See, here's one side that says, is it Roman Catholic? There's another movement in some churches called universalism that says God loves everybody so much that he couldn't send anybody to hell. That's not what we're saying here, okay? This just means everybody. You with me? Hearts, minds clear. All right, so I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church universal, the, communions of, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, amen. Are y'all ready to say this together? All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church Universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Why are we doing this? What I want to do in this series, my goal is, is for us to be reminded of who we are. For us to be reminded of what the truth is. For us to be reminded that in a world that tells us there is no truth, that we can say, actually, there, there is a truth. And that truth has a name has a face, has a mother. And, and that truth has a birth date and a death date. And it even truth has a resurrection date. And I want to tell you the truth. Because so much of what is being told about our story in the world isn't the truth. And I want to use these five weeks, and as I talk to my professor, I, I, this isn't about starting a fight. I don't, I don't hope no one's mad at me this morning. I hope you hear my heart. And my heart is, is that we are a people who are grounded in the truth. That some of you feel that you are going through life and you're, as Beth Moore said in such an incredible way, that you're sliding down that rope, hands burning, lost, hurt, and you desperately need to know that there is a knot that's going to stop you. My goal in this series is to remind you that there is a knot, that there is truth, that there is something in our world that we can rely on. That we have a testimony, that we have a story, that we have life, and as we go through this series, I want us to be continually reminded of what that is. Next week, we're going to talk about virtue. We're going to talk about what is good and beautiful and true. And we're going to talk about how we see those things in life and how they help us point to the truth. 
the week after that, we're going to preach a sermon that some of you have been wanting me to preach for a while. We're going to talk about the devil. Because the devil is the opposite of truth. And sometimes we have to be reminded that there is someone out there who is deceiving. There is someone out there who is lying. There is someone out there who is trying to divide. And then we're going to spend the next week talking about lying. That'll be a fun one. But being home in the truth, understanding that there are lies out there and how do we become people of the truth. And then the last week, the fifth week on June 32nd, that was a joke. We're going to talk about, or y'all, y'all call it July 2nd. It's June 32nd up here. Uh, we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about that day? We're going, I don't remember. We're going to talk about the freedom that comes from living in the truth. So that's kind of that's where we're going, and that's what we're going to talk about. All right. So I want us to end today, uh, in, and I know it's not really an altar call type of Sunday, but John and Aaron, if you want to go ahead and come up, we're going to sing uh, the creed. Uh, because what better way to end than to, to, to use a modern way to sing the creed together, but to be reminded who we are. This morning, as we close, though, um, as you all know, if you, if you need to pray with a pastor, the Pastor James uh, will be right over here at this altar. Uh, if you need to be anointed for healing for, for any reason, physical, emotional, spiritual, if, if you want to pray with me or you want to be anointed for healing, if you would just come right down to this altar, I would love the opportunity to pray with you and anoint you. So as we close today, let us stand as we sing the creed today.